Washed Up Emo sponsors New Belgium Brewing are celebrating their 30th anniversary as a company. To celebrate, they're releasing Wild Ride Amber IPA, a happy tribute to their iconic fat tire. Even better, New Belgium Brewing are giving away bikes and gear all year. Find out more information by visiting newbelgium.com. Do you ever wonder if your favorite band is emo? Tired of being in the same conversation with friends? Not knowing if you're listening to post-hardcore, screamo, emo revival, emo emo violence, even ska. We're We're here here to to help. help. The Emo Council is here staffed and ready for any question you may have. Hey, Emo Council, just wondering if Green Day was considered an emo band. Thanks. Green Day is not an emo band. Okay. From the creators of Washed Up Emo, isthisbandemo.com offers the definitive answer to the only important question of your day. Hey, is this been emo? Forgive me for running off the fine the one thing I have to do Welcome to the Washed Up Emo Podcast. Um, I lost my voice recently at Emo Night. People were screaming Rufio and Dashboard um, requests too much, so I lost my voice trying to say no to them. Um, but here we are, Evan Weiss, into it over it, in the rain-stricken Brooklyn. On a bed. On a bed. We are actually on a bed. It's so emotional. Yeah. There's a little background music. Um, it's and- my natural habitat right now. <laughs> on the bed. <laughs> Um, and it was fun. I was looking up all the bands that you were in. It's obscene. It's out of control. I would like to list them off. Let me see if I got them all. Dude, there's no way. There's over like 20 or 30. Then I don't if have you it. count all the dumb ones that played like one or two shows <laughs> and made a cassette demo or something. I think, I think your Wikipedia would be a good like senior thesis project or something. <laughs> I'm actually, is there a Wikipedia? Do I have one? There isn't. Yeah, there shouldn't be. Get that out of here. I don't want anyone knowing... I like that. I don't want anyone knowing that. I gotta live <laughs> off the grid. Uh, Demira, The Progress, Up, Up, Down, Down, Left, Right, Left, Right, B.A. Start, Wires on Fire. I wasn't in that band. That's you actually weren't. a band with a guy of the same name. Wow. There's another so, Evan Weiss out there. Can we fix the internet? Someone fix that. <laughs> um, stay Ahead of the Weather. Right. Um, there, There, There. Okay. Fantastic. And Pet Symmetry. Right. Which is... Now, there's some deeper cuts, too. There was when I was in high school... There was a band called Map the Growth, which was a, a hardcore band. There was a band called The Funeral Bird. There was a band called The French Connection, which I was in for a couple shows. There was another emo band called Hiroshima Mono More, which released an eight-song EP. And nice. And broke up after four shows. There was, uh, what else was there? There was a band called Sleeper Agents, which I played in. There was a band called, um, gosh, there's so many. Um, there was a band called Labor, which almost put out a full-length. Um, these are all bands that have recordings that 
if we plugged in my iPod, it would be the most boring two hours a year. This would be the next, <laughs> like, Captain Jazz uh, For sure. If there's double some, LP. You know what? I started putting out records, and I was like, man, I kind of want to release some of this older crap just to say, just to have it. Yeah, like yeah. A physical format of it. And uh, But it would really be the biggest, like, $2,000 mistake I could ever make. <laughs> <laughs> um, with, with all those bands... Um, and now into it, over it, um, you know, I think, you know, coming back, all those influences, all those different records, um, where did it all start, man? Did you grow up in New Jersey, correct? I grew up in New Jersey. I grew up in a town called Cherry Hill. Um, it's maybe like 15, 20 minutes outside of Philadelphia. Yeah. And uh, when I was growing up, there was a really excellent, uh, a really excellent scene for touring shows and um, VFW shows and venues around the Philadelphia area and the South Jersey area. And, um, got exposed at a really young age through uh, friends I'd had in high school and middle school. I was actually at church, like maybe 15 minutes down the road in the other direction, that every Friday they would have shows for free. It's called the Ashland Church. And so, um, you know, and it would be different stuff all the time. It'd be either be like a ska show or, you know, like a grunge show or just like local punk bands mm-hmm. or whatever. But that was my first exposure to emo and hardcore. It was just being like 12 years old and going to this church every Friday as something to do. Was it local bands or was there be like a headliner and then like It was local? a mixture. Generally it was local stuff, but um, you know, every once in a while like touring bands would come through. And, and What years you know, was like, that? Oh man, this would have been 1996, okay. 97. So um, I think the first band I ever saw at that church that was a, a touring band was Boy Sets Fire. And that was my first. That makes like, sense. That was my first, like, holy crap, like, this is a thing. What, what, re- what record was that? Was, like, uh, Until the Sun? Yeah, it would be The Day, or, yeah, Day of Someone Else. That Day of Someone Else, yeah. Um, so that was around that era. And then, you know, all the, for some reason, all the bands on, like, Ferret Records would always play, you know, like, early, like, Trust Kill stuff. And then, so Hardcore was first? That was the first exposure. But it was that, but I'd actually gotten into emo from, um, I was really into grunge when I was 10 or 11 and my parents were both into pretty modern rock like they were uh, in bands in the 80s and then you know there was a lot of music in our house at mm-hmm. the time so my mom bought me Nevermind when it came out and that kind of sp- spiraled into me getting really into grunge music and um, that was the first CD I ever bought yeah following things like all the bands on Sub Pop yep. uh, and that was my my first exposure with Sunny Day Real Estate because they were a band on Sub Pop mm-hmm. it was 1994 you know and so bought uh I think I went to the store hoping to find LP2 and wound up buying Diary, the only <laughs> record that they had. And brought it home and instantly fell in love. And then started going back. We had this record store called Tunes in South Jersey. And I used to go there once a week with my allowance and just buy UCDs of bands that had album artwork that looked like Sunny Day Real Estate. It was like if it, if it looked like that or it had that vibe, mm-hmm. I would just buy it. And it was two bucks. Like if CDs were like two bucks or three bucks. It's like. If you strike out, it's no big deal. Yeah. If you find something awesome, you could really luck out. What were some gems? I remember the first day, the best score day I think I ever had at the used record store, finding new stuff, was I bought 30 Degrees Everywhere, The Age of Octane, and uh, the Captain Jazz discography in one shot. And I couldn't believe how unbelievable all three of those records were. And then I think the following week, it was like This Afternoon's Malady by Jejun, uh, Boy's Life. Yep. with the the, um, the self-titled one and then Christy Front Drive Stereo Sound 
And it was like, that was the following That was week. a good so couple was, weeks. Yeah, it was it's incredible. <laughs> I had so much good music, I didn't even know what to do. And so I would just sit in my room and I would listen to those records and, you know, play like, uh, just play like Sega or something. And, um, and then when I found out that there were shows in our area, like, I, it, it was right when the internet was starting to happen too, and we'd like just gotten a computer and, um, and just through research and using file sharing programs and, and different websites was able to find out what was going on yeah. in and around my house. Message boards. Yeah, for sure. Picked like, records, message like boards. There was like some local South Jersey scene that support with, you know, uh, where there were posts about shows coming on, going on and stuff around the area. And so, I mean, that that's correct. I mean, just the listening back to so many people tell these same stories, it's like so many gr- grunge, hardcore and then into like post was, and then emo it was it was grunge and then emo but yeah. I didn't know how to find emo and like that was like I didn't know where the shows were at but I knew from going to this church that would like, just happen to go to hardcore shows so I kind of got into hardcore and emo at the same time but I got into emo through finding the records and I got into hardcore through finding the shows so the two kind of came together yeah as I became, as I hit like 15 is when the two sort of came together but, but those bands also played together for sure yeah, so it was time, like they yeah. set they, they crossed till you happened to go you would see a hardcore band but the opener would be yeah lighter for sure um, it was definitely yeah it was a cool time too like South Jersey got a lot of great bands and, and in my high school especially there, you know uh, there was a lot of good hardcore stuff happening and when I was really young like the band the kids that we looked up to that played in bands that were seniors at the time you know were in the hardcore yeah like we had, there was this dude Jared who went to high school with me and he used to play in this band called Trading Places now he's the drummer of Painted Black. Nice. You know, it's like, but then we were, you know, he was, we were, you know, he was 17. Yeah. He was like 14, you know, and we used to see, that was like a band that would play at that church that we could, you know. That's awesome. So it's, it was pretty cool. Just how everybody grew And up. then would you go to Philly for stuff too? The first time we went to Philly, <laughs> first time my parents would let me go to Philly, we saw a show at this place called The Kill Time, which was at like 34th in Baltimore in West Philly, which is when you're like 14, 15 years old, is a little uh, dicey scary. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh and we saw um this band Pray for Rain and This Day Forward and uh I forget who else might have Elephant's Lost you know it just like it was like a film yeah commercial. but so we we went to that and uh, that was like my first introduction to, to like DIY Philadelphia shows um there are also a bunch of shows at the church before it was um before it was our five even Mm-hmm. The first Unitarian Church had a lot of shows that we got to see. I got to see Death the Pride in there. And, um, didn't even know what I was watching. You know? Like, yeah. <laughs> was that Via tour? Yeah. Uh, no, that was the one with the Get Up Kids. That was right. Oh, okay. It was in Casino Alley. Um, that, but I, again, like the church shows didn't feel DIY the way that they, like Kill Time did, or mm-hmm. you know, even like the Rotunda, which was like another place in the city. The church shows kind of felt like they were more organized. Yeah. Like, it was actually like you were going to a club. You know, it was just like the basement of a church. Yeah. Um, so was it nonstop shows? When did the sort of the, I, I want to do this? When I when I found punk rock or emo or hardcore or anything, that was when I stopped caring about school. That was when I stopped caring about anything but just playing in a band or going to shows. Um and it's a miracle I graduated high school. It's a miracle <laughs> that I even like applied for colleges or took the SATs. It was a miracle that any of that stuff had happened. But um, you know, at the time I was playing in a band, and uh, it was like my first, like when we were fifteen, we were, I was playing in a band, The Progress, and we started writing music and recording it and putting out records, like CDs at the time. I never had a vinyl release, but um, I was trying to make that a thing. 
and I was trying to go full time with that. But the other, I couldn't get the other guys to do it. And Jason was in college, and, and uh, when we graduated, like obviously when you're in high school, you can't do much. But yeah, when we graduated, he went to he went to college, and Mike got a full time job, and it kind of became increasingly harder to do that. And um, despite the fact that we were a band for eight or nine years, when Intuit Over it started is when I broke that band up, and then began taking it full time shortly after that. And so I mean, just going back to you know, guitar, what was the thing that you were, you looked up or saw some band and said, all right, I'm doing it. I was actually, I lost a bet when we were in, when we first started playing music together. We like learned our instruments together in fourth or fifth grade. And, um, I lost you were gravitated bet. to guitar? Yeah, we, we wanted to start a grunge band. So we were like, oh, you know, and, and I had bought it, my parents had bought me a guitar, like just a cheap, like Squire guitar or something. Uh, it was PB, actually. And uh, PB Predator. <laughs> and uh, it was a PV too. My first guitar was awesome. And then, um, <laughs> and then my uh, best friend, his brother, was taking guitar lessons, and so was he. And we were like, oh, we should start a band. And so we all wanted to play guitar. Everybody wanted to play guitar. So Mike's like, I'm going to play guitar. And I was like, no, man, I'm going to play guitar. And so we did rock, paper, scissor to see who play guitar. And I lost, so I had to play bass. Uh, and I, in the fifth grade, you're like, bass sucks. You won't play bass at all. And now I'm so happy that I played the bass because I love playing it now. And I've played it in most of the bands that I've been in. But so I bought a bass and, uh, you know, I've been playing it ever since. Nice. He's the bass player in the progress because of that. Because oh, wow. If, if he had lost the bet, he would have played bass in the progress and I would have been the guitar player. So, that's just... And you might not have had opportunities later. Or... Yeah, 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 for sure. <laughs> or you could be shredding somewhere. <laughs> Zach Wild, somebody. Yeah. That's really cool. I mean, just being able to... You know, uh, be able to play both and be able to be confident in both of those. Oh, when did guitar you... was a bass. I actually took lessons for, and I actually, you know, kind of know what I'm doing. I can read music. I can. I uh, played upright through high school and like you know, in my early 20s a little bit. I was in some orchestras and stuff. And, um, guitar was kind of a mistake. I didn't really know what I was doing. So, ah. so I was writing the progress songs starting at uh, after our first EP was done. I started writing a lot of the progress songs, but I was figuring it out as I went. I never took guitar lessons ever, and so I, I figured out power chords and a few basic chords, mm-hmm. and then just started making it up. And uh, and so I've developed this really unique style, just strictly because you know, I, I have no idea what I'm doing. no idea what chord it is. Yeah, yeah. you know, and I'm, I open. It sounds good, and I know what feels right, and, and that's been. And I know the basics, but I, when it comes out of that, you know, like I don't know cover songs. I don't know how to play. Yeah, other people's music. I just know how to do what I do, and yeah. that's it. <laughs> was what was singing? Did singing come easy? Um, yeah, you know, and it's funny, like, Mike and I, who were both in the progress, sang in our, like, choir in high school, you know, and, uh, again, we both came from pretty musical households, so, you know, it was something that was always around. It didn't yeah. seem weird to sing in front of people or to sing at all, you know, it, it was always just something that was natural and around all the time, so, um, you know, and we wanted to do it. We wanted it to, we wanted it to be good, and we wanted it to be right, and so we tried and worked hard to sure that it was even at a really young age yeah um, so yeah no yeah it was cool that's cool like yeah. most people were like oh I kind of same thing oh I lost a bet I had to be the singer you know kind of thing yeah this no, was... no we, we both wanted to we were like yeah no we want to sing you know like, for some reason it felt like that was like the credibility if you were the singer then that would then you were a really cool guy yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, when I was going to ask this when did you first hear the word emo first, I heard, first time I heard the word emo I was reading uh I was reading an article in Heart Attack, which was the abolition scene. 
And um, the reason I'd gotten heart attack at all for the first time was I bought, um, well, I didn't even buy it. My friend John had a bunch of records that he was getting rid of. And he had inherited them from his older brother or someone. And the records that he was getting rid of, he didn't want them anymore. It was the Honeywell LP, uh, Rorschach Protestant LP, um, the All the President's Men comp. Mm-hmm. And uh, what else was he Van Pelt, uh, Souls of Seven. Oh yeah. And he's like, he's like, I don't have a record player. I don't want these records. He's like, do you want them? I was like, yeah. He gave me those four records. Wow. And so um, there was a copy of Heart Attack inside the Honeywell jacket. And so I was like, what's this? And I pulled it out. You know, Heart Attack. That's how I learned about Evolution and, and you know, like San Diego, mm-hmm. Southern California hardcore, like '90s hardcore. And uh, that was an eye-opener. That was actually, you know, it's funny. I think about really influential moments of discovering this subculture, and that was one of the biggest ones, was getting that, like, those four LPs from my friend John. And that we, I was a freshman in high school. You know, I'd never, you put the Honeywell LP on, there's, like, nothing mm-hmm. quite like that record. And uh, and that Van Pell record's one of my favorite records of all time. It yeah, still so sounds when, good today. Yeah, it does. Like you it's can, awesome. Like, the guitar like, and the drums, like, it's just, you, everything it cuts clarity, through. and it's not mixed, like, it's not overly mixed, like, there's nothing too loud. It just feels, like, open. It feels like you can cr- play it as loud as you can, and everything will still cut through. Totally. Absolutely. Um, like the American football record. You no, know, I've never before. heard anyone sing, like, Chris Leo before. Like, yeah. that was the first time I'd ever heard anybody just talk over a song, <laughs> you know, and I thought that was the coolest shit. And, uh, but, so that was the first time I'd heard, ever heard the word, was reading Heart Attack. And I remember buying um, uh, Revolution Summer by Reverse Low Man, which is mm-hmm. my favorite hardcore record ever written. And the giant, like, 50-page zine that comes with that record, mm-hmm. just sitting and reading it over and over and over again. And, uh, you know, and it's funny, like, I've met, since then I'm on tour, I've met a few of the people who contributed to that zine because I have the tattoo on my forearm, and so people notice it on Revolution Summer. Like, be like Reverse Low Man, like, like contributed to that scene those guys are my friends you know oh it's awesome and so I get to like, totally geek out about it God, I love that record that's cool like, like what you did made such an impact on my life when I was such a young, young teenager um, so yeah that was probably the first time that's cool was it and again it wasn't a negative connotation to it either no no, no it was awesome it was, it was a really positive one and, um, you know because I had heard Sunny to Real Estate and I knew that there were bands that sounded like that but I didn't know what it was. I didn't know what it was called. I didn't know if yeah, it had a name. I just liked it. Yeah, I just thought it was good. Um, and obviously, you've been through, you know, the changing and what had happened to it. And oh, when the Progress was trying to tour, nobody wanted to see a band that sounded like the Progress. Nobody wanted to see that because we we just wanted to sound like, uh, we just wanted to sound like Braid or like, uh, um. Like nines and sixes, mock orange. You know that, that we heard those records. And we're like, this is the coolest shit. Yeah. You know, or like you know, minerals and serenading. You know, those were their and Sunday real estate. You know, like those were like our biggest influences. And we were trying to start a band that sounded like that. Nobody wanted to hear a band that sounded like that. So we would get put on hardcore shows. We would get put on metal shows. No one gave a fuck. And it was kind of weird. Like our Philly scene kind of exploded right after we broke up. Hmm. And uh, it was it was just kind of bizarre. If we'd been, if we'd stayed on for another two or three years, we might have been able to do something really rad. Yeah, it just you know never worked out when it did. But it just that sort of change too of the the name getting sort of tainted a little bit. Yeah. But you're still, because I think 
you definitely like you got right at the right time like you caught it right at the end yeah right at like you caught the top of the wave and you came down with it it was and not the bad thing it's like good but it's you you saw it you had the scene sort of 2001 2002 then it starts to kind of lose its luster a little bit yeah like anything that that gains popularity or gets too big or successful it just gets watered down and contrived and then it self-destructs and then uh, and then the good the good remains and then it begins to build back up again and I, that's what the sort of the inspiration behind this the, the site everything and I remember the first I think someone sending they're like Tom there's bands today that sound like the stuff you're talking about yeah. and I was like what? <laughs> like people are like People know about these bands. Like, I, yeah. no one cared. I do this site for four years. No one, and I was like, they're like, no, no, there's these bands, and um, it would be, you know, if it was kind of like stars or top shelf stuff or no sleep. You know, I started kind of diving, and then it, it kind yeah. of reinvigorated everybody. And now we're at this moment where for sure the cream came back up <laughs> by all these bands remembering. And I just, I don't know how they found it. Like, how did they? Because I mean, yes, the internet, but yeah. like, how did it? Sort of I, mean, I, like, I, I connected myself, to that because I was in it, but like people are now still connecting to it. I ask myself the same thing, you know. And there's people now, kids now, who are getting influenced by bands who were around five years ago or four years ago. Yeah, you know, like um, you know, it's funny. A band like Algernon Cadwallader was a great example. They were a band for like four years before anyone gave a fuck, and we they were like our unsung heroes. Like they would yeah. play. Before that, they were in a band called Halfway to Holland, and Halfway to Holland was supposed to do a split with the Progress, and we'd been friends with them since we were in high school you know and then they broke up and started out like Algernon maybe a year and a half later two years later and we, were, we thought they were the greatest thing mm-hmm. like we would go to see them all the time or play shows with them and there'd maybe be five ten kids there and I remember there was there was a show that happened that I have a poster for in my house and it was 2005 it was Up Up Down Down The Progress Pattern Is Movement Jenna Berlin Algernon Cadwallader there was 25-30 people there if that show happened now it would be obscene. Yeah. And so, um, you know, it's people funny. just didn't know what was people kind of in front of them. They find it and they, they find that now because it's a little more recent and that, and that's their first, that's their first exposure. Like younger kids now, that's their first exposure. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I hope that kids now or people who are just discovering it now know to look even further. Yeah. Cause that's how I was. And I, and I think that helped shape a lot of my, respect for punk and hardcore but you've been doing it organically when I've I mentioned you know to a few people you know that certain ages and just trying to engage like yeah I'm doing it over you know it was like they had oh I saw him this time and then I saw him this time and it was you did it organically when at the time you could have just put up a band camp and been done with it but like you did it sort of the old school way like promise ring you've toured and you went through Boston three times a year and it was like the record cycle or whatever it was like I don't, I don't know if you did that consciously no, but no, that's no. I mean that's uh, the only way I know I remember when The Progress was becoming a band and starting to tour for the first time that was right when things like MySpace were starting to happen and we had played shows and done tours before websites like that existed and all we knew was like you go on bookyourownfuckinglife.com or yeah. you get like the fucking the zine the Book Your Own Fucking Life zine tells you, you the show yeah venues. it tells you who does the shows and you call them on the phone and you're like hey we got this band and um, you know, we were mailing demos to people. We were printing out our directions in MapQuest folders, you know, and like, yeah. or writing them down, you know, like, <laughs> like looking them up on app, like, had Turn an left atlas, on Main you know, Street. So, um, uh, so it, it, we were doing it the old school way, and when, when, and we were at the tail end of that. We were one of the last bands that was probably a, a new band that had to go through that. 
and when a website when website booking and website hype and and doing things like buying fans and stuff like that started happening and that became like the change in the music industry for a couple years Mm -hmm. we had no idea how to do that we were so in the dark and I think that really um, in a lot of ways hurt the band but at the same way helped us maintain a really great work ethic and uh and kept it grassroots and kept it authentic. Because you had done it already that I way. I knew how. You know, I mean, we, we weren't, we just weren't in the curve to be able to learn. Like, we we, we probably could have figured it out, but we just, uh, for whatever reason, we just didn't. Is it, is it overwhelming, a lot of the tech, the technology stuff that sort of now you have to do? It's every... Like the social networking. Social networking, or even, I mean, I just even think... I saw some photos of a show that I was at. Someone posted them. It was from 97 or whatever. Everyone's looking at the band. Yeah, no one's looking at their phone. And I look at shows now, even, you know, The Promising Show when I saw you. It's like, what are people doing the second Davey's like, you know, like, it's like, funk. Yeah. Swipe, swipe. I just, uh, I I don't know. It's like, what did you fill your time with before that? You'd talk to the person. You'd be like, oh, hey, how many more people would we have met? Yeah. If it was different now. I mean, I, yeah, I don't even know. I remember, like, when I, my first experience living in Chicago. When did you move to Chicago, by the way? Well, when I was 18, I graduated high school, and I, uh, I went to Chicago on a trip with a couple friends. And while we were there, um, I met this guy, Brian. Brian needed someone to sublet his apartment for a couple months, and I had agreed to do it. Um, I'd fallen, well, first of all, I was, like, so enamored with the city. It's like, oh, my God, my favorite bands are from here. Like, I've heard so much about this place. But I'm 18 years old. Like, yeah. Bright-eyed. What you tell him? Yeah. So I fucking tell Brian, I'm like, I'll sublet your place. Like, hell yeah. You know, and, and so it went out there for two to three months. It was 18 years old. It was three blocks from the Fireside Bowl in the last year that the Fireside Bowl existed. Oh, my God. So <laughs> I would just walk to the Fireside every night. And I didn't have a cell phone. I didn't have a, there was a, a house phone in the apartment. So I could like, call my mom. Get messages. You know? Yeah. And, uh, but I would just use the internet and go on, you know, mpshows.com, which was who was booking the fireside at the time, and see what was going on every night. And there were five bucks. They were all ages. So you just go up there and, you know, mm-hmm. scrap together $5 and go to the show. And so I saw a lot of really awesome stuff that year. But it was the same thing. I was all alone in this new city, didn't know anybody. And, uh, and that's how I met people at the fireside. You know? And so after a couple months, I moved back home. The Progress was a band for another another uh, five years, five, six years. And then after 52 weeks was over, after I'd started it's over and finished 52 mm-hmm. weeks, it was like the first... That was done in Chicago. It was done in New Jersey. Done in New Jersey. So the first week that 52 weeks was done, like I'd done 20 years, 23 to 24 to 52 weeks, October 1st, I moved to Chicago after that. So... Um, Almost immediately as that project was finished. I oh wow! That was my last my last year in New Jersey. <laughs> so Chicago's been your base since. Yeah, since two thousand nine, two thousand eight. Awesome. October two thousand eight. Feel pretty connected. Yeah, at this point, for sure. I think the first couple of years were pretty tough, but um, since then I've fallen into a circle of friends, and it's it's become a really nice transition. Nice. Yeah. And then obviously it's close to either coast or. Oh, that's it's perfect for touring. Yeah. You're like right in the middle of everything. And it's, and there's bands coming through all the time. It's a really great music community. It's it's been really welcoming to everything that I've that I've done. Yeah, I mean, and too, I mean, just the I was thinking about it today with a few people. Um, remind me of Braid, um, just with the output 
of stuff. It's yeah. like splits, or if it's touring, or if it's if it's uh, you know mentions. And I think where does that sort of drive come from? Is it just everything's in your head? I got to get it out, or it's just I can't. It's like if I finish something, I have to be doing something else. And uh, and whether it's going on a tour, or writing a record, or working on something, I'm also really notorious for if I say I'm going to do something, I do it. I like so that. If we come up with a, a crazy idea or we're like, oh, we should go and do this. And it's like, yeah, we should. And we will. You know, and I'll figure out a way to make it happen. Um, Closing the loop. Yeah, I like to be a man of my word. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and that started, I think, really with the 52 Weeks thing. You know, that was like, I made this outrageous claim. I'm going to write 52 Weeks songs in 52 Weeks, you know, and put it online. Originally, it was just free online. And I posted it. I was like, this is what I'm going to do for the year. Come back every week and that will be the song. And when that, when we finished that, and it was over. I was kind of like, wow, well, I guess I could probably do anything I want. Mm-hmm. Like that, if I can complete that goal, then I can complete pretty much any other goal that I want to do. That's awesome. Um, so yeah, at this point, it's just been a matter of always having something to do. And because uh, if I was home, if, if there was nothing to write or nothing to work on, I'd be sitting at home twiddling my thumbs. I yeah, I'd be doing anything, you know. And that's not fun. I don't feel accomplished doing that. Yeah. So yeah, that's basically been the reason why. I'm and then what? Playing with playing with a band or playing by yourself, what's do you, what? What do you like? Um, There's merits to both. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, especially like right now, like we're on a pet symmetry tour right now. This band is awesome because it's so fun. You know, it's really low pressure. The songs are fun to play. Um, it's easy. You know, it's just three of us. So it's a, a breeze. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've divided the responsibility pretty evenly, so there's no, there's not too much falling on any one person. Um, and there, there is a similar scenario. You know, it's not a super busy band. We just like to write songs, and that's really what that comes down to. With Into It Over It, there's merits to both. Playing solo shows is easy because it's, it's me, and I can you control. Can stop, you can stop. You can fuck with it. Yeah, I can do whatever I want. I can goof around. I can say and do what I want. It's, <laughs> it's completely in my hands. Playing the full band is fun for its own reason. It's loud and it's, you know boisterous and can move around more and it's um the shows are more exciting mm-hmm. I but I think they both have their merits and I you know I, I like it either way and how's how's like the your songwriting changed since it's kind of I mean has it always been full time to you have those like full time to me yeah probably I would think so so it hasn't really changed then like the songwriting I mean if it wasn't if even in, in like high school and stuff if I was playing in the progress I was also playing in two or three other bands that were also keeping so there was always something else to do. Mm-hmm. If it wasn't, if the progress wasn't playing, if I couldn't get the three of them to rehearse, I could get three other people to rehearse in a hardcore band or you know, you know, another new band or something. Um, you know, and for now, it's it's yeah, I would say it's the same. The work ethic's the same. Um, there's always something to do. Yeah, no, you're right. <laughs> um, I got this really good question from someone out there. Um, they asked about Connecticut Steps. Um, what about it? <laughs> they said it's such a heartbreaking song. They were they were like, "How do you play that <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> live?" Well, you know, it's, it's so it's about our friend Mitch, and uh, you know, I think I think Mitch would have wanted us to play that song, and um, it's a hard question to answer. Yeah, I think they 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 said that they're like it's probably going to be really hard. Yeah, just because it, it's they just they hurt like this is such an emotional song and it's a, it's able it's to a, it's more it's 
more therapeutic to sing it than to, to not sing it. Mm-hmm. It helps. Personally, it helps me cope with that scenario better to like have a release of, of how I feel about that situation. And I'm what sure people take that same yeah, thing for know, them. Um, that song, I think, is important to me and it's important to a lot of other people for similar reasons. Yeah. Um, I don't know, I like the song a lot. I, did, I absolutely was able to sum up exactly what I wanted to say and say it. Um, that, that's a good feeling. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I, I really like that song a lot and I think that's a big part of it, too. I, yeah. I don't hate that song. I'm not angry about that song and it doesn't make me feel pain as much as it makes me feel uh, love for my friend. You know? mm-hmm. And then, too, I mean, switching just to the... All the you've worked with so many different labels and, and splits and stuff. How have you, you know, kept yourself from having to sign a Deep Elm Records deal? You know, or well, let's get too soon. <laughs> <laughs> um, doing the doing the Twelve Towns project, it was it was very clear at the beginning to everybody that that was how that project was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. The idea behind the project was to do six records on six different labels with six different bands with six different artists, and it was supposed to be. A, a giant collaboration of all these different people, how mm-hmm. we're connected and how this is a community of, a community of artists. Um, with that, um, you know, No Sleep had done majority of the releases aside from that. You know, they did the 52 Weeks release, they did mm-hmm. the, the Koji split, and they did the Such Gold split, they did Proper. So the, No Sleep had their hand in most everything that we've done, and, or I've done. And, um, you know, when it came time to do the newer bands, it was kind of like, well, you know, we should just see what else we can do. You know, and with there, they're kind of having a connection with Mike and Polyvinyl, that was really nice. Mm-hmm. And having Asian Man be a part of Pet Symmetry was really cool. You know, just hitting up Mike and being like, hey, we started this band, like, here are the songs, what do you think? And him wanting to release it, we thought it was really rad. It's like you're going old school, new school each time, where if it's like Polyvinyl or well, it's a, Top Shelf. I was it, going to be a marketing major in college, so this is where my... Yeah, this is the background. No, it's good though because it helps connect out. everybody. Yeah, for sure. It, it that's the thing that I really gravitated to about being like, I was like, holy shit, he gets the old. He's doing it new. It's like everyone should be stoked on this. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I think that's a lot. That's that's a lot of the sentiment just from that I'm hearing from people that it's it's coming from the right place. I'm not saying everyone needs to go to the same shows or be, but at least know the history and come yeah. come out and be yeah, able to connect. From, yeah. yeah. That's because that's how I am with stuff. And like, if I didn't, you know, when you hear one thing, you like, you want to find out where that came from and where what looking at the liner notes. With that. Yeah, and like that was, you know, it's funny. My friend Lindsay works for J Tree, and I just saw her the other night, and, I, and that was a really great. I was thinking about this when I was leaving, uh, seeing her. It was like what J Tree did for me, and like how that labels had so many different styles of music, and how when you found one band, like I think the Promise Room was actually the first band that I found, and then wanted to discover everything else that was then you're like Joan of Arc you were here, like Lifetime Turning you know, Point or whatever anything you know so you're like wow this label's cool like what else can I find mm-hmm. that was a really perfect example of that I'm hoping that's the same like it's now like they hear you know my band or, or you know any band on like County Lucky Stars or Top Shelf or, mm-hmm. or you know even further than that you want to know where those bands came from what influenced them who their friends are you know who they think and the record you know stuff like that yeah I want to ask you too. Why did you think it happened again? Why did it? I don't know. I've, I, I've you know what? There. Well, I've, I've actually thought about this before, and, and my, you know, Koji and I had had a long talk about it once. And the conclusion we came up with, which he quoted so well, was that uh, there's no economy for bullshit. It was one of my favorite quotes I think he's ever said. 
and he was talking about we were both talking about how when um, when it kind of came back was in this situation where the economy is like shit and, and no one has money to spend on big shows or big productions or anything and it just becomes it, at that point it just becomes kids banging it out in the garage or banging it out in the basement you know and breaks it, it back down own. yeah and it, it, it restarts everything from the ground up again like nobody wants to spend $20 on a big rock show they want to spend 5 bucks or the million sweat. dollar video yeah for sure it becomes it becomes authentic again and I think that was a big part of it I think the, the community that from where it had started in the 90s and what it became to in the mid 2000s had become so trite that it can't go anywhere else it just has to collapse and then it, it just started. got so glossy yeah and if you know where to find the, if you put in the time, you can find the, the real again and be able to experience that again. And I'm glad I kind of switched gears and, and restarted my own stuff right around the time that that shift was happening. It was a part of it. Yeah. Um, kind of like lucky, you know, and I kind of fell into touring by mistake. I had a job and I started touring and I lost the job. Ah. And that kind of <laughs> kept me touring because I had nothing else to do. Like, yeah. You go back and they're going to go back and find another job. It's kind of like, well, if I don't do it now, I'm not going to do it at all. So mm -hmm. might as well just go for it now. And if it fails, then fuck it, I'll get another job. Yeah. Um, if it doesn't fail, then I completely do it. Yeah. What are some other favorite records from this, you know, that, the late 90s, early 2000s that you think you know, people, I don't know, if people, people might know or ones that you like think people should, for the new people that maybe are getting into stuff or There's you should definitely listen to this? <laughs> There's or? a record that I'm, uh, that I was thinking about the other day that was such a, offbeat forgotten record but I really think people need to hear it and I think it's one that no one talks about ever but it's July to October by Lazy King I have a Lazy King story keep going it's that I fucking great band fucking love that record and no one knows about that record you talk to anybody about Lazy King nobody fucking knows about it and they've got two full well the first full length is great and July to October is kind of like a collection LP but that collection is so excellent um what yeah, else? everyone should look out Lazy Cane. The one of my first jobs in the city, the a guy standing next to me was like uh he was doing the same thing I was doing, we'd never met before. And he was like I was like, oh, I was in some bands or whatever. I was like, Oh, whatever, what bands? He was like, Oh, I was in Lazy Cane. I was like, What? <laughs> I was like, I saw you open up for uh, at the drive in and Jimmy World. He was like he was like, Oh no. And so, like, whenever I introduced him, and they'd be like, oh, I'm, you know, whatever, I'd be like, he's in Lazy King. He'd be like, shut up, <laughs> shut up. He would, like... <laughs> mentioned Empire State Games and I geeked out for an hour about that band. <laughs> care less about any of the other bands. It was just like, holy fuck. You know, dude, Circus Strongman. This is like more offbeat ones. I don't, you know, I, I go back to, uh, I go back to that Vantel record a lot. Mm -hmm. go back to, um, to June, I think people should, yeah, that was a band that, uh, uh, you know, a forgotten band. Or not forgotten, but, that this afternoon's Maladay record was unbelievable. My college band was pretty much Hum and Jejun. That's what we sounded like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it was like that's what I wanted the girl singer, but I wanted like the heaviness. For sure. But 
It's uh, not hardcore. You know, and, and you know, we were talking about Tristezza earlier before he walked in. Like that was a, that like spine and sensory and dream signals were two incredibly important efforts to me. Which that kind of record plays into, you know, the sort of instrumental, the intricate, oh, but cool. then it's like it's epic and there's a there's a you know Castavet kind of feels like that yeah, sometimes. Yeah, yeah. For sure. And you know it's funny, I play Tristezza for for Nick, we'll be hanging out and we'll play that record. He thinks that man's so utterly boring. It's like fuck, you just don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> he needs better speakers or something. <laughs> I, but that was like so, that was a really important band to me. Um I listened to a lot of instrumental music, almost to a fault, and that was a like envy. Part of me getting into it, I actually I've seen envy before. I've never been, not that I don't like envy, but that was never a band mm-hmm. that struck a chord with me as much as some other ones do. Um, that Tenabra record, Tenebre, Tenebre, Tenabre. I've never I don't heard know. It said that loud, so I don't know how to say it. But I've it's like Gloria Nick, Record, Gloria Record. You never yeah, heard yeah. Nick Nick showed me that band, um, you know, a year and a half ago. I'd never heard him before, and it's just. Guitar, upright bass, and drums, and it's all instrumental, but it's beautiful. And it's it's something I would I want to know how to find one of them so I can put that record out because I feel like more people need to hear that. Yeah, um, I would love to do instrumental stuff. Just that's all I, yeah. you know. Forget the vocals, like make it interesting sure. enough where I wanted to do that. Yeah, around here, and it, like, I already got so much else going on. I, do that it. I dare you to fire. say it, and then you're gonna have to do it. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, are there any personal highlights so far? From, from doing it to Dobra? Yeah. Oh, there's been a bunch. Um, going to Europe for the first time is incredible. Um, just, well, just being able to play so many shows with bands that I look up to and admire that are, you know, that I would have never had the chance to play with years ago, but, you know, fortunately I'm able to have a chance now. Um, really just the satisfaction of releasing so many things and getting to a point where I feel like I can if I work on something and get it done that it can see the light of day and, and you know, people get stoked on it yeah if one person is getting stoked it's awesome but the fact that I can just continue to do it at this point is, is really cool that's awesome um, you know and every year I set new goals for myself and then I, I can reach those goals then I'm, then I'm satisfied uh, what's, what's the goal for 2014? I haven't made my 2014 goals yet my 2013 ones were to finish the new record and make it different than the last one and then to go to Japan and uh, what was another 2013 goal? To do a full band for US. So those were, and those three will get done this year. So kids, listen to this. He's set goals, and now he's accomplished them. <laughs> Have you seen Monsters <laughs> University? I haven't yet. I don't want to. I don't want to spoil it. Then. Uh, should I go see it? You gotta go see it. Okay. Because that's what the movie winds up being. It's about setting goals. Nice. And, and working hard and achieving what you need through hard work and not through. Any, anything else for it. For the entitled generation. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would love to hear, I want to talk about the new stuff too. Um, you have a seven inch coming out, correct, with a book? That's already out. It's out. Yeah, it's called Life of Suffering. Let's start that again. Yeah, we... So, your seven inch, hold on. So, your seven inch and photo book that's out. Yeah. Tell me about how that came about. Um, it's called Life is Suffering, which it, I thought it was really funny that a lot of people thought the title was serious, that we actually thought Life is Suffering. <laughs> it was actually an inside joke um, based off the Buddhist uh, April path, which, you know, whenever anything mildly goes wrong, any, like at any time, one of us, one of me or my friends would just be like, oh, Life is Suffering. <laughs> um, but so it's about, the book is just basically documenting the first full band 
uh, full band tour down to fest that we had last October, and basically just making a photo memory book um, for people who were there and for uh, for us. And, um, What's, what's really the reaction been? It's been pretty cool. I mean, it's such a niche thing. You know, like, we made it because it was something cool to make. And it was, uh, uh, it's a testament to, you know, getting to that point with it, like that particular point of the tour over where we could be a full band thing and, um, you know, kind of like taking the next step with mm-hmm. it. Um, you know, and it was really low pressure. It came out great. It looks great. And, you know, us doing the live recordings that accompany it were really cool. It's, it's really just something that if, if anyone's like a diehard fan, then they'd really appreciate it. Cool. Um, you know, and it was another interesting thing to release. You know, I don't think a, a lot of bands are afforded to, to not only do something like that, but have people get excited about releasing something like a book. So um, it came out great. It looks great. And it perfectly sums up how the tour went and, and what our attitudes were like and, and our sense of humor about the whole thing. So Nice. Um, yeah, it's just a cool release. Cool. What what other kind of stuff have you thought about doing? If it's vinyl releases or anything kind of different, or um, fifteen gate fold? You know, yeah, no, I don't know fold. about that. I, you know, at this point, there's a label called uh, Struggle Town in Glasgow who's doing a picture disc. I haven't done a picture disc yet. Awesome! And it's just going to be a seven inch split with this band called the Great Albatross, who's really my friend Wesley, who um, used to go under the moniker Forest Smile when he lived in the states, but he got married, moved to Glasgow, and, and he started a band out there. And the songs are beautiful. Um, but yeah, they're doing a little, a little seven-ish picture disc. Nice. Before, so that would be cool. Um, and then, you know, aside from that, you know, it, really the ideas just kind of come randomly. I don't think uh, I haven't given any thought to anything super crazy for the following year. I think once this record's done, I'm gonna chill out for a little while. I think it's something going. It's going on something like releases that I'll have been a part of that are coming out in 2013. It's reaching like 17. That's some Bob whether, Pollard yeah, era, actually. Whether it's something I actually sing on or something that yeah. I'm part of, like just even like sing on for a second or work on for a second, like, it's getting up there. So I think I gotta just take a chill. <laughs> <laughs> um, can you talk about the new record? Yeah. Um, uh, what's the? What are the thoughts? What are the feelings? I know that the whole usual, hey, new record, it's my best thing ever. Or, it all, all those things that always happen. But for you, you know having another record having probably a big push behind it and yeah, yeah, a lot of effort <laughs> um yeah, yeah. <laughs> um we did the record uh did the record with this guy named Brian Deck Brian is a Chicago native he has worked on things like well he's done every record that Iron and Wine has ever done um he's done some stuff for Modest Mouse he used to play in Ugly Casanova and in Red Red Meat um he worked on the Rex records. He worked on the Him records, mm-hmm. the good Him, not the not the crazy yeah. Got Him. Um, <laughs> you know, and he's he used to work at Eiffel with Brad Wood. He's worked at Engine in Chicago for a long time. Um, so I kind of got hooked up with him through Mike Kinsella. And at the time, we were trying to figure out who was going to do the record, and I was really stressing out about it. I couldn't figure out who I thought would be a good fit. And Mike recommended Brian. Brian had done. Uh, new Leaves and At Home With, right? Is that... Ghost Town and... Uh, was it Ghost Town? Yeah. The last two. Yeah. He'd worked on a, he'd worked on a couple of records with Mike and Mike really liked working with him. And uh, when I was describing what I wanted, Mike seemed to think that he'd be a really good fit. He's like, I think Brian would be a great fit for what you want to do. So we had some demos for a couple of the new songs and um, we reached out to Brian 
like, hey, you know, Mike told him, we kind of think you might be the right fit for this. What do you think? Send the demos, and he loved them. He called me right away. He wanted to do it. The availability was at the right time. And just oh, it's awesome. Time. So we booked, we did it at Soma in Chicago, Illinois, which is John McIntyre from Tortoise's studio. Mm-hmm. So it's filled with all of the Tortoise gear, first of all, which is just an insane amount of gear. <laughs> and, uh, and we spent about three weeks, um, tracked it, tracked it at Soma, mixed it at uh, Brian's house. And um, it was just a completely different creative process than most of the other Interover records. While, while some things remain the same, um, like for example, a lot of the Interover records, a lot of the music's written on the spot. A lot of the, um, the general shells are all there, but a lot of the additional guitar, second mm-hmm. guitar, um, additional instruments are all written literally as we're recording. So that vibe is still very much present, but um, his recording technique was a lot different. It was a lot more about building the songs around the vocals as opposed to having um, just doing things for the sake of doing them, like doing second guitar just for the sake of doing mm-hmm. second guitar. That wasn't a thing this time. Um, and I think it really speaks to the songs. Um, it was a cool pairing, and, and we both agreed that Brian had never done a record quite... Brian never worked with anyone quite like me, and I'd never worked with anyone quite like Brian. Interesting. So, together, it kind of made this really cool balance, because I was coming up with ideas that he wouldn't have thought of, and vice versa. And uh, together, we could kind of make this thing that was a little unique. That's um, really cool. Yeah. I'm pretty excited about it. And it you know, it, it doesn't sound like any of the other records, and it's... It's got its own feel. It feels like a record. It feels like an album. So, um, full full instrumentation on everything. Yeah, great. Yeah, um, you know, some songs are more stripped back than others, but uh, it's definitely it was uncharted territory for me. But I think it speaks volumes to the the style and the vibe of the record. And I think as a fan, someone hearing that is going to say, "That's what I want." I would hope so. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I I I I don't. I see both sides of the coin because I don't like it when a band changes completely but I do like it when a band is able to grow you know and, and take another step as, as far as musicianship goes or um, style you know I think that's what I was trying to do trying to find a balance between the stuff I've already done and where I would like to go so cool <laughs> that's awesome what band is considered emo that's not considered emo that's not I don't consider anything that uh, that came out in between the years. Well, I can't say I can't make a blanket statement like that. But I never thought anything like I never thought anything on the drive-through roster was emo. I never thought anything um, on like the fuel. Well, no, that's not true. I would have considered Chamberlain an emo band, but most of the fuel by so early. Most of the fuel by ramen roster, I thought was. Well, turn to the circle. Yeah, like point. I never thought Fall Out Boy was an emo band. You know what I mean? And or My Chemical Romance. I never thought that bullshit was emo. Did we just I, become best friends? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> and that kind of you know, and then that sucked because you try to tell people, you know, there was a period of time where you'd be like, yeah, people would ask what style of music your band was, and you'd be like, oh, you know, we're an emo band, and they would just immediately assume you sounded like. I, don't I mean, know, that was the inspiration fucking for the site or something, and you're yeah. like, no, you know, like, no fucking way, get the fuck out of here. What is it, that what was that? Uh, like. I don't know. <laughs> but it's like, there was that BuzzFeed thing, it was like 36 like pop punk records, yeah. and there wasn't a pop punk band on the list. Yeah. Like, there wasn't, there wasn't Queers, there wasn't like the yeah, Riverdales. The, Vandal, the Vandals weren't on there. Yeah. 
Whereas, you know, Screeching Weasel wasn't on there, probably. And all these people were taking it so seriously. And I go, guys, it was BuzzFeed. They do cat gifts. And you're listening to them about music. Let me go to TMZ and ask them yeah. uh, and you know the top hardcore records from Victory Years 92 to 98. No. Yeah. You know, and I didn't th- and that doesn't mean, just because I don't think they're emo doesn't mean that I didn't think, that I didn't like some of those bands. I just thought it was a misappropriation of the name. And, no, I, th- I thought that was just pop music. Or, like, rock that was to me the hair metal phase of emo. <laughs> it was the arenas, yeah, the like hair, when, like when, like when band, like kind of like when Warrant, Heart Poison, in uh, hair metal. You know when like Gangrene started, yeah, like uh, <laughs> doing that shit. It just turned. Yeah, it turned where you can have your bus, but the bus turned into you know two buses yeah. and three, and everyone can be successful and make as much money as they want. It just. It, it, it turned that way and then the mainstream yeah but then you know there are bands that I do think still like I would still say a band like Death Cat for Cutie is an emo band and they're enormous you know yeah and so it, there's it's just a matter of I mean really that's like so that's like splitting hairs it's like fucking you know I know and completely this... completely opinionated like in my opinion this is this way but um, those debates happen every time there's for sure yeah, and without a doubt it's fine. I just there's a certain point where I, if the band is, yes, you could be in hardcore bands beforehand, but where is it coming from? Yeah. Is it? What's, what's the? Am I am I licking the bass or am I playing it? You know, are you, are you, putting together these songs or is it, we made an arena rock record because you can do that. It's yeah, fine. I think it's, I think it's just all about vibe and about presentation and, um, and authenticity how you, how it's being presented and. Uh, if it's real versus if it's just an act and that's that's where I think it's the, the biggest line in the sand is drawn is whether or not it's authentic yeah I also did the I used to do the AP rule I would count how many swoops were in the AP magazine so how many bands had like it was the you know the younger bands that submitted demos I'd count who had the hair in their face and who didn't and it based on that ratio I could tell how the how angry I was or how <laughs> I was like alright you know it's 60-40 non-swoop alright we're yeah. getting better I mean I've had swoop in my life but my swoop came more from uh, what the In Love With The Jets Antioch Arrow record <laughs> or like the uh, what the Refused the Refused yeah. video you know <laughs> that was sort of the Jinko the, Jerome, the Jerome's Dream like yeah. uh, you know that or the Locust kind of I think the hair swoop is the Jinko of Mid two thousands. See, I disagree. I think it just got. I think that's another thing that just got stolen and then bastardized. You know, the like, the Jinkos? Are you are you no, sticking Jinkos, up for Jinkos? No, I'm not sticking up for Jinkos. Well, <laughs> you know the first the first hardcore show I ever went to. One of well, not the first one, but one of the first I ever went to was uh, I saw Turmoil and fuck yeah. Um, Sorry, it was, it was, it was <laughs> Turmoil and Ensign, and I was I was definitely moshing in a pair of Jenkos, Jenko khaki Jenkos with nice. a, with a beaded necklace and a button-up shirt. Are those available? There's photos or is there video? Oh, I, there might be video online. All right, if anyone could find that, feel free to send that in. <laughs> definitely, definitely something pretty early on in my youth. Any uh, any hardcore show I went to, it wasn't a show until someone covered uh, Chokehold. Yeah, that know. makes sense. Especially yeah. growing up around here, that'd be. That'd be if you didn't cover sense. them, I think the sort of like a bane hoodie. Yeah. You don't. The show doesn't you start until someone has a bane hoodie. Yeah, okay, yeah. the show can start. That's <laughs> <how> it. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> nice. Um, yeah, I mean, sure. You want to keep going with opinionated, opinionated email questions? I got a few
Hello, Washed Up Emo fans. Thank you for listening to this podcast over the last nine plus years, or if it's your first time, welcome. It has flown by, and I appreciate each and every one of you for listening. And for this current episode you're about to hear, I do have a favor of you. I have some books out right now called Anthology of Emo, and Volume 2 was released last fall. I really think you'll dig it if you haven't heard of them. It features guests from the podcast, including Jim Atkins from Jimmy World, Chris Conley from Saves the Day, Travis Shettle from Piebald, and John Bunch from Sensefield. Also, reprinted volume one so you can order both. Check out the DIY publishing at anthologyofemo.com. <laughs>